0: Be seated. Two things. First of all, a confession. I hadn't realized that we only did two readings at this service. I thought we might have three, which would have included the reading from Amos, which is quite an interesting one. But never mind. So I will adapt what I'm going to say. That's no problem. But another warning. And the warning is, what I say during the sermon, there may be part of it that you might think is heresy. So first of all, listen out, see if you can spot it, because that will keep you interested whilst I'm preaching, maybe. But the other reason is that I would have to tell you that this is my view. There will be other people across the country wearing funny frocks and weird shirts that are preaching differently there will also be other people across the country in funny frocks and weird shirts preaching just the same message so I'm reasonably happy that I'm not out there completely on my own in my heresy you might remember this where's Carol you might remember it too I don't know if she actually put her hand on your leg to keep you in place in the first year of my curacy you were all for walking out I remember you went like this but we'll come to it in a bit. You won't get that bit of the message that I gave several years ago. Goodness me, probably 12. Isn't it fright 12 years ago. It's a long time. Anyhow, the reading from Amos actually echoes very much the message uh, in the gospel. So we'll just turn to the gospel. But the bit, the bit in Amos that I wanted to share with you, and it was a joke really It comes at the end of the reading and it's talking about how rich people um, will be the first to go into exile and that's politically absolutely right if you're heads of a nation you're massively wealthy you're leading it and you're taking all the benefit from it you will be the first person or people that the invaders take into exile because it's around you that everybody gathers and looks for focus and if you remove the leadership which is precisely, of course, what the Western world did to Putin's oligarchs, isn't it? Yeah? Took them out of it. Took their yachts. Took their money. froze their bank accounts. Thank you very much. You're the first that we can get to. So we've got to you. And that's what happened in the reading from Amos. But it ends. It's a, it's, again, it's a polemic against the rich, really. But it ends with, the revelry of the loungers shall pass away. And that took me right back on holiday. No. <laughs> Thank you, Isabel. Um, (laughs) I love the idea of the revelry of the loungers passing away. Um, And it says that in the Bible, in the book of Amos, chapter 6, verse 7. And what it's saying is what we're going to be saying throughout the whole thing. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's often quoted, as you know, as money is the root of all evil. It isn't. The love of money And we're going to get to that in the gospel reading. As for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And it's really strange because this morning, first thing when I was preaching, I've got the reading from Amos and the gospel reading. And I haven't really bothered with the reading from Timothy because I'm not a big fan of the first letter of Paul to Timothy. But the reality is that my sermon touched virtually all the bases that we had in that reading from June. That reading from Timothy touched all the bases that I touched in my first sermon this morning. And so we get to the reading about the rich man and Lazarus. Did you know that this is the only parable where Jesus names one of the players in the parable, one of the actors in the parable? Lazarus is the only one who's named in all the parables that Jesus tells. In all the others, there was a man, there was a Samaritan, there was a, a, a robber, there was a Levite, there was a this, there was a that, there was a woman caught in adultery. No one is named apart from Lazarus. What that says to me is that this is a really important parable. But it's really important that we don't misunderstand it. Imagine this poor guy, literally poor, covered in sores. I sometimes say, why on earth if he's covered in sores? Because they used to send, as you know from other stories that we've heard, they used to send people that were covered in sores off to the leper colony. All that it needed was the priest to say, oh, that's leprosy, off you go. But they didn't. They dumped him outside. Well, it's a parable, so it's a story. It's not based in fact. They dumped him outside the rich man's house. The rich man doesn't have a name. He's just the rich man. And there's Lazarus at his doorstep, covered in sores. Poor. And the nub of this story is what happens later. Why is the rich man in torment? Why is Lazarus up there with Abraham? It's interesting, they're in the same place. There's no mention of heaven and hell in this parable. You've got uh, the rich man over here looking up in the same place, and he sees Abraham and he sees Lazarus, and he calls out to them. But he's not learnt anything. He's still there. He's suffering. He knows. He thinks he knows why he's suffering, but he's not sure. Because you you can tell he's not sure. You can tell he's not learned anything. Because he says to Abraham, send Lazarus. Telling, isn't it? He actually knows the guy's name. He's ignored him for years. Years. He's been at his gate, covered in sores, hoping for a bit of a handout, maybe a bit of food, getting licked by the dogs. That makes him absolutely the lowest of the low. And yet the rich man knows his name. Send Lazarus, he says, your slave, Abraham, who will do everything that you tell him to. Send Lazarus down with a bit of water to ease my tongue. It's interesting, wasn't it? I actually completely lost my voice for a brief bit at the start of the service today. Bit of water for my, thank you, Rosemary. Bit of water for my tongue so that I can have a bit of ease. Send that slave that beggar from my gate. Oh, I can't send him because there's this huge gap that no one can cross. Same place, huge gap. Where is the gap? Is it actually a massive great chasm with no bridge? No, I don't think it is. This is a parable by Jesus. Jesus is saying the gap is in that soul that can't see. That blind soul, that suffering, that blind soul that doesn't understand how this all works, who still thinks that here is power and there is nothing, but everything's been reversed, as Jesus says in his parable. And then he says, Well, send him to tell my brother so he's got a bit of, you know, a bit of decency. If I can't. Get out of this suffering. Send Lazarus, that ridiculous, poverty stricken nothing, send him to my five brothers to tell them what's happening, to tell them what might happen to them and what is happening to me. Well, Moses and the prophets. They've got the scriptures. They should know. Even if, and there's a, this is, you know, quite funny, Jesus' foresight. Even if someone rises from the dead, they won't change. Even if someone rises from the dead, they won't change. So the rich man, huge blind spot. That's the chasm. That's the chasm that he can't cross. This inability to understand It's not that he had all the good stuff. It's not that he was massively wealthy. It's not that he had the best food. None of that. It's that he loved all that too much. This is the same parable as the parable of the rich young man in many ways. The rich young man who was such a paragon of faithfulness. How can I follow you, Lord? How can I get to heaven? Sell everything you have. Jesus looked at him. Do you remember the lines in the parable? Jesus looked at him and loved him. Sees deep into his heart and sees that the barrier is this over-attachment to stuff. Now, in this parable, there's more. It's the complete absence of any care for anything other than self. This rich man, we know he knew there was a beggar at his gate. We know that. But all he cared about was his own well-being, his own food, his own comfort. I'm going to go back a bit now. Some of you may well think this is about heaven and hell as well, but I don't believe it is. Firstly, I don't believe that our loving God, every week we talk about God being loved, don't we? Well, Well, if you don't, there's something wrong. Most weeks, I would hope, you hear about God's love. God's love for you. God's love for your families. God's love for all his created beings. Do you think that that loving God has got a naughty step where he burns people? Now, if you do, that's fine. But I don't think that there is a hell. So I take that position, I don't think there's a hell. And then I move to here, Pat, and I say, if there is a hell, it's empty. Then I move to here and go, if there's a hell, it's empty because God is love. And then I'll go back to the fire, because what I believe is that, I used to not believe this, by the way, my my thinking has modified slightly. I think that there is, as in John's Gospel, a ring of fire that burns for eternity, that is incredibly hot, and it takes the souls of those like the rich man, this is post-resurrection. The souls of those who've died, are like the rich man, and if they don't want to be with God, if that soul cannot see a way to ask for forgiveness, to accept the wrongs that they've done in their life, in order to be with God, because we're all right, we're already with God. God is already with us, and we know that, and we are blessed. But there are others who don't know that. That thing about becoming disciples to the nations that was in one of the um, hymns today. I called to go and make disciples and followers of everyone. If they don't know that, and the soul doesn't recognise where it came from, because all souls come from God. Everyone is created by God. God is the maker of all things things, all people, everyone. But if the soul of that created being doesn't recognize its maker and is so bent and twisted, God doesn't take that soul and put it in a fire for eternity. God takes that soul, puts it over his burning gathering and goes like that. And it's gone. Its place, just like the lilies of the field, shall know it no more. That's what I think happens to souls that are in torment. The torment is that they can't understand, just like the rich man here, because there's so much that they had, that they want, that it still wants, that soul. And so, in mercy and love, Not a constant, eternal flame at the feet or the toes or the armpits or whatever it is. Just a nothingness, an absence of God. I couldn't live without God in my life. I couldn't conceive of what it would be to be alive without a sense of the divine. And each one of us, I hope, is blessed by that sense of God present. God present on a Sunday, on a Monday, Tuesday. I'm not going to make a list of the days of the week. You know the days of the week. God present with us through all our lives and in all our troubles and in all our joys and all our happinesses. I pray that none of us is so attached to having stuff that we forget that others have far less than us and we can make a difference. And that is our call as Christians.